Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Thursday, October 15th of 2020. We'd like to welcome all of our listeners today as we are heading towards Friday. And those of you that have been with us this whole week, we have been enjoying and we have been studying and gleaning from the book of Acts. And as we will continue to glean from there today, I pray that your hearts are ready. I pray that you have your Bibles ready as God has something fresh for us today. Today in our panel, we have Brother Marty, as always, Brother Fernando, as always, a pleasure to be able to, um, and an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So we want to give much time to the study of the Word of God as much as we can. So Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we continue in our journey in the book of Acts. I'll leave it to you. Amen. We come to our uh, fifth podcast on Paul in Athens. We've been working our way uh, to Athens, uh, and we've done so by by beginning at the very beginning of the book of Acts and discussing some, some might be some controversial things in the way that we've been uh, looking at the progression of the early church and 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 how it it began to grow and how it began to uh, to encounter right from the outset um, incredible uh, resistance as the enemy sought to to thwart really um, the expansion of the church. Uh, they began to centralize. Uh, the the gospel uh, in the sense that they made Jerusalem the headquarters and they seem to continually hang out there and not expand the gospel in, in obedience to the Lord um, all over the world, which is what he had told them to do. And so multiple years had passed by and we were, we've been exploring that. And, and from the perspective of, of the question we asked yesterday, which was what hindered them, and we spent almost two hours talking about that yesterday. So we pray you go back and listen when you have time and uh, and 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 take that journey, because all of those things were were catalysts uh, to propelling um, the Apostle Paul into his ministry as he became known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. And thank God that he did. Um, God selected him specifically um, to become that great Apostle who would take the gospel to the uh, nations, the Gentile nations of the world. And he would become the one who would write almost 14, I think it's 14 books of the New Testament. Over half the New Testament was written by this great apostle. But we've been looking at, at the different things that, that uh, and events that caused that to happen. And we've, we've gleaned much. So we encourage you to go back and listen to these podcasts. Uh, and, and today we, we are, we're going to arrive in Athens finally. But again, it's from the perspective of of the development of this great apostle, the experiences that that brought him to the forefront, all the different interesting uh, you know things that we've been able to look at, uh, wherein we've we've begun to see how God deals with His people, and and what's been fascinating to me too is is the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of all this, because the Lord sent the Holy Spirit to be the caretaker, the developer, and, and the guardian of his church, and, and also the instructor of his church, the comforter, the guide, the revealer of the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. And so it's fascinating when you look at it as to how he preserved the church 
in the midst of, of incredibly high-level resistance. It's fascinating when you take a look at it. And we pray you've been blessed. And as we go into our part five of Paul in Athens, uh, I'm going to have Brother Jeremy begin reading for us at, at the book of Acts, chapter 13. We encourage you uh, to have your Bibles and to continue to follow along with us. And as always, we want to encourage you, if you know others that are interested in deeper Bible study, we encourage you to share these podcasts with them. And again, we don't seek to build anything. We're not trying to build our church, our ministry, ask for money, man. We just want people to hear what the Lord uh, is saying in his word to us and prayerfully that it would be a blessing and encouragement to others as well. So we thank those of you that are listening, those that have been writing us, those that have been uh, you know, letting us know that, that, uh, that you're being blessed by these, these broadcasts. And we thank you and are excited for you to join us today. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have Brother Jeremy begin reading to us chapter 13 of the book of Acts, verse 1 and 2, and we will get into our study from that point. And uh, we we pray that you'll be blessed today in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy? Amen. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetric and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And verse 2 says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. As we've been discussing, uh, We've explored at length the events of the early church in Jerusalem and its struggle to understand the full gospel. It, it, you know, as we talked about before, their, their primary focus was on the Jewish nation. As Brother Fernando brought out the other day, uh, correctly so, they had a, a nationalistic understanding of the gospel. They, they, even as the Apostle Peter had said right at the beginning in the book of Acts chapter 1, he asked the Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this point? And, and so their, their mindset was, was still uh, focused on the nation of Israel exclusively. It had not been revealed, at least in their own understanding to that point, even though the scriptures were there and present, they still did not understand that what had actually happened at Calvary, the price that the Lord paid and the resurrection uh, was to be the gospel, which he told them in Matthew chapter 28, when he said all power had been given unto him in heaven and earth. And then he commanded them to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And so he had given them the mandate that they would first become witnesses in Jerusalem, but that they weren't supposed to stay there. They were to expand from there into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and this was the struggle that they were having, because as we looked at, what they began to do was coalesce around the capital city. Even though the Lord, and we've talked about this too, he had told them, if you remember back in Matthew 24, that, that everything in Jerusalem was going to be torn down. Not one stone would be left upon another. And so I find it incredibly interesting that, that even with all this information that was going, that the Lord had given them this prophetic insight of the coming destruction of the temple and of the nation itself, 
they still seem to have run up against a, you know, a wall in their own thinking where they couldn't seem to get past that. And you can't really fault them for it. Like Brother Jeremy shared yesterday, there was, there's a great residue of religion and the understanding uh, that had been ministered to the nation throughout the years, the, the centuries, really, through Judaism. And, and so it affected them after the Lord ascended into heaven in that they continued to abide in Jerusalem and the fullness of the gospel, which had been revealed through the prophets, which was that after Messiah would come, that the Gentiles themselves would come to the light of the Messiah. But they weren't fulfilling that commission. And we, we explored that. They were having a struggle understanding the full gospel. And really, like we said, efforts in the gospel were primarily directed to the Jews. Now, there were Gentiles among them, but they were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. And so this is different. You know, there were Gentiles who, who would receive the gospel uh, as, they, as they knew it, but they were converts already to Judaism. So it was more as if they were adding to themselves a fuller understanding, but yet not in its fullness. Because what was actually supposed to happen was that the nations, like we said, the unconverted, the unscriptural, pagan, heathen nations of the world were supposed to have the gospel given to them. And that's what wasn't understood, I don't think, until the Apostle Paul, of course, came forth as the Lord would reveal the gospel to him. As a matter of fact, he said the gospel that was revealed to him, no man taught it to him, but it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So, as we have looked in, in our in our studies and, and we came to yesterday's conclusion, we find that after some 15, 16, 17 years now since the day of Pentecost, uh, there was a great failure to, to expand the gospel into the nations of the world. It would ultimately culminate in chapter 12, as we looked at yesterday, with the Apostle James being assassinated by King Herod. That is James, the brother of John. And Peter himself being thrown into prison and, and, and awaiting his execution in the morning. That's where it ended up. Even though the Lord had revealed to him in Acts chapter 10 that the Gentiles were supposed to have the gospel preached to them, and you, you can go back and listen to the podcast and study it in Acts chapter 10, when God gave a vision to Cornelius the Gentile, had him send his servants to go get Peter and bring him to his house. Peter would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would receive the gospel and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's where it ended with Peter. He never really got it. As a matter of fact, he returns to Jerusalem. And, and this is why we see the Lord already moving by his spirit. This is some 10 years after Pentecost, where God then begins to move and, and bring a, a shift in how things were being done in the spirit concerning the church. That's when we come to chapter 11 of the book of Acts, where we begin to see that the, the hand of the, of the blessing of the Lord began to fall upon those who, who specifically began to, to minister not to the Jews only, but to the Gentiles. And when you read the balance of chapter 11 of the book of Acts, you'll see that they, they, a new church was being born in Antioch. And that's when they sent Barnabas, the great prophet, teacher, apostle, if you want to call it, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And it was there when Barnabas came that he saw what God was doing amongst the Gentiles. 
And this is now some 13 years later, after uh, Paul had been saved, he goes into Tarsus and he retrieves Paul. He brings him to Antioch. And there they spend a year developing the church in Antioch. And it is said, as we read in our studies before, that that's the first place in Antioch where they were called Christians. And that label, that identifying mark has lasted 2,000 years and were known as Christians to this day. And so it was in that time period, as we saw, that, that prophets came to them from Jerusalem. And we talked about the prophetic uh, uh, gift coming to the new burgeoning Gentile church whose teachers were Barnabas and Paul. I mean, imagine that. That would be awesome. And and what was revealed to them was that a great economic depression and a great famine was going to come upon the early church and throughout the whole world. And so it was with that in mind that the new converted Gentile church in Antioch decided to take up an offering, as we explored, and they sent Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to take an offering uh, to them because of this famine and economic depression that was that was already beginning to de- to descend uh, on the early church. And it was there when Paul and Barnabas were in Jerusalem that, that they were present at the assassination of James, as well as the jailing of the apostle Peter. Peter would be let out of jail by an angel. And then it simply says in chapter 12 that he departed from there. And, and that's where when you get into your deeper Bible studies, you begin to find out that scholars really don't know where he went. Some people think he left Jerusalem, went up to Rome. Some think he went over to Joppa or Lystra and hid out there. But nonetheless, what what was being pointed out by the Holy Spirit was that a new era was taking place, that a shift was now taking place in the burden of the mantle of, of what the true prophetic fulfillment of God uh, uh, needed to be and was going to be, which is now the expansion of the gospel throughout the regions of Asia Minor and ultimately, uh, as Paul would, would, would go in full flight of his apostleship, into, into Europe itself and, and the gospel would, would spread through the West. And so when we get to chapter 13, it's after they return from Jerusalem having delivered the offering from the church at Antioch, they come back. And the Bible tells us there, it's, it's very interesting, something very interesting there. Because a new era is now beginning. This is where Paul receives and Barnabas received the first call of the Holy Spirit, a new mandate to go forward. It would become his first missionary journey. But there's something really cool here. I just want to point out a little nugget. Could you read to us verse 1 again, Brother Jeremy, of chapter 13? Yes. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. It's interesting who the Holy Spirit uh, points out here, who was actually present at the church in Antioch now. He, he, he calls them prophets and teachers, identifying Barnabas as, as a prophet teacher. Then he mentions this man here. He's called Simeon. He says, and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. So apparently, or it appears that both Simeon and Lucius were both of Cyrene. 
Simeon was called Niger, and that that word Niger literally means uh, one who is of of dark skin or or a black man. Cyrene was up in the in in, in northern Africa, Libya. So it, it, they, they, that's where they came from. But what I find incredibly fascinating is this Simon, uh, this this one who they identified as a black man from Cyrene, along with Lucius. Uh, if you do your studies, what you're going to find out is this is the very same man that we find in Matthew chapter 27. Can you read Matthew 27 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Verse 32. Matthew 27, 32. Here we go. And as they came out, they found a man, a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. It's incredible because when you get into the early writings of the church fathers like Eusebius and Origen, they identified this Simon in, in the book of Acts here, chapter 13, as the very same one from Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross and helped him carry the cross on his way to Calvary. Mark identifies him as well. And further and further uh, pinpoint is given in that he also talks about his children. Uh, one is named Rufus, I believe. Can you read that to us in Mark 15, verse 21, Brother Jeremy? Yes. yes. Mark 15, 21, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And they and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who pre who passed by, coming out of the country the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. Yeah. Now this Alexander and Rufus are mentioned in the book of Romans and, and we won't, you know, we're not going to go all into that, but you guys can do some very interesting studies who are listening as to who this man was. He's also called a prophet, right? He's a prophet teacher. He's identified in that class. So I, I, I find it incredibly fascinating that one who carried the cross uh, from northern Africa, uh, here we are some 15 years later, uh, and he's in the early church. He's there working yeah. alongside Barnabas and Paul. It's incredible, right, <laughs> if you think about mm -hmm. it? <laughs> because I like to dig into these things, you know, and at least, you know, spend a little time and think about them, the kind of conversations they must have had that the Apostle Paul himself was privileged to. You know, what would you have asked to Simon of Cyrene? What was it like to carry his cross? You know, what was it like to be next to him? What was it like, you know, to 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 bear the burden with him? You know, it, it's an incredible thought and the kind of conversations these men had. And also consider that these were the men, because we go on into verse two, uh, they're all ministering to the Lord and fasting and the Holy Spirit. Spirit moves through these men and and speaks a, a word of knowledge to, to uh, Paul and Barnabas and says, separate them for the work of the ministry. This would begin a new era in the church. So to have these men present is, is pretty incredible. And the fact that that the one who had killed James, he had he had a an adopted brother whose name was uh, Manan which you read after Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had, it says, been brought up with Herod. 
that's incredible. So the, the the perspective that's present in the early church from these saints of God that God strategically placed there were also contributors in their conversations to the development of this great apostle Paul. He was privileged to it. And and the way the Holy Spirit identifies Saul in the list is he mentions him last, if you notice, right, in verse 1. He, he starts with Barnabas. He goes to Simon of Cyrene. He goes to Lucius of Cyrene. To Mana and and then he he mentions Saul, so there's there's an interesting dynamic there as to as to where they they all are positionally quite possibly uh, in 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 the spirit, and 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 it's at that time that that the call is made. I just found it really interesting uh, that Simon's there. That he's called a prophet. If we had time, we could do an entire study just on Simon and and the gospel in Northern Africa, and and his sons Rufus and Alexander. So I really, um, you know, encourage you who are listening to, to you know, to to do your studies and go go on a fascinating journey as you explore these things. But the point is this: is a new era has begun. Look who's present at the Gentile church in Antioch, and it's from there. That 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 we now have our attention turned to to Barnabas and Saul, and and they begin a missionary journey from that point on, and and that journey would take them on a two-year excursion, and they would ultimately return to Antioch, and and we begin to see the fruit of what happens, because God is now beginning to to outreach and the prophetic word uttered since the days of Isaiah, who said that the Gentiles would come to the light of the Messiah, uh, it begins to happen. And that testimony is given after two years, they return back to Antioch. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 14? And, and, and again, we're bringing Paul to Athens, but this is the first missionary excursion, which lasted two years. And when they return, uh, can you read to us chapter 14, verse uh, 25, through, 25 through 28, please? And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalaya, and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. With the disciples. With the disciples. So, so we see, and and I encourage you uh, who are studying along with us, go ahead and read the 13th and 14th chapter because you're going to see all the historical things that happened on that two-year missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took. But we don't. We're, we're not. You know, we're not giving you an exhaustive commentary on the book of Acts in this study, but we, we are encouraging you. What we're attempting to do is to is to open up our understanding as to how the Holy Spirit developed the great Apostle Paul and brought him ultimately uh, to Athens, where another shift would take place. And and, uh, and and Paul, by the time he gets to Athens, is 51 years old. So another 10 years is going by. What we're examining right now is a 10-year period that leads him to Athens. But here we see them returning after two years. And what is revealed is, is, is really interesting in verse 27. They begin to, 
to, to reveal to the brothers there in Antioch um, when they were come and had gathered the church together, they, they, they testified or rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. See, the prophetic word is beginning to be fulfilled. And, and here we see the, the, the direction of the church being taken to the nations of the world. And, and they're beginning to unfold it. They're beginning to reveal it. And they're beginning to testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit is now taking the gospel to the Gentile. And then verse 28 tells us that they, they kind of settled in there after that two-year journey. But then another crisis arises. And, and, and what we're going to see is, is what that crisis was all about. Can you read that in, in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, Brother Jeremy? And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Now, there's a lot there if you think about it. And you guys, you know, join in with your thoughts here. But, but think about the beauty of what's happening in Antioch. And, and 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 the joy and 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 the revelation of the spirit the great prophets they had there including Simon of Cyrene we read about uh you know Barnabas is there Paul is there Lucius and the others are there this is a thriving uh wonderful burgeoning uh center of Christianity right now <clears throat> and into this mix all of a sudden 2 years later here come false teachers notice what they said right they said except you be circumcised after the manner of moses you can't be saved <laughs> that's uh that's incredible to me why well they came from jerusalem and so what we see here is an inner again we're witnessing spiritual warfare at a high level they came uh, where the presence of God was, the enemy will always show up there. And 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 the last thing that we just read in, in chapter fourteen is the door is now being opened to the Gentiles. Can you see the spiritual warfare here? Because what we're told at the at the end of verse twenty seven, and what their testimony was, he has now speaking of God, opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Once that statement is made, suddenly in, in chapter 15, verse 1, we see false teachers show up. And what they come preaching is they can't be saved unless they be circumcised, unless they follow the Mosaic law. This is a corruption of the pure gospel. And it's very interesting to me that as Paul and Barnabas are testifying to the power of the gospel that's beginning to spread amongst the Gentile nations, a fulfillment of the prophetic word uttered by Isaiah that, that the Lord would be a light to the Gentiles. Here we see a counter move again by the enemy, attempting what he failed to do, even though he tried with all his might in the early church, 
he's now again attempting to 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 thwart the growth of the church by interjecting this addition to the gospel and claiming that that they can't even be saved unless they yield to the mosaic law this is a crisis of incredible proportion here and what i like is what we see the response of of, of barnabas and paul in, in verse 2 you can tell there that they begin to, to argue with them it says there was no small dissension and disputation with them they began to to go at it <laughs> they began to to really have some intense theological discussions there but again what do we see here in verse 2 it says that that they uh, they determined to take Paul and Barnabas where to Jerusalem right back to Jerusalem mhm mhm to the apostles and the elders about this question now this is very interesting because again we see all these years later they're still there and what what is your opinion here i mean did they really belong there i mean we've already gone through this over the last couple of days but i mean think about this it's become a central hub they're 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 only now they're only about 20 years away from jerusalem even being destroyed but obviously they're well entrenched right the apostles the elders and they're being looked to as authorities uh you know in other words unless these guys tell us <laughs> what the answer to this question is it's almost as if as if paul and barnabas's ministry is being called on the carpet and the very theology that they've been preaching to the gentile world is being questioned and that the only way that that's going to be solved is by this great apostle having to yield himself to the authority of them? What do you think about that? Any ideas? I mean, you know, you don't have to speak all at once. <laughs> I mean, think about it. <laughs> you know, it, it's going back to what you said uh, yesterday. Um, it's 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 the attack, the the subtle attack of the enemy to keep uh, the gospel corralled around Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know taking taking these men to Jerusalem is part of that attack of the enemy, if you can say it, if you can see it, right? Um, yes. And. And again, we're just bringing more and more evidence as the scripture has given it to us, has given it to us that again, they were not in uh, full compliance with the Holy Spirit uh, and obedience as to the, uh, you know, uh, the mandate of the Lord, which is to go first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So here's more evidence of that, right? Yes, I think so. And then as we, you know, I wasn't intending to get too deep into this section, but you you bring up a, a great point because as we begin to see the dynamics of the interplay between these great men, think of this, man. We've got James, uh, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the half-brother. He's in charge at the at, in Jerusalem. Contrary to what our Roman Catholic uh, papacy likes to say, 
uh, it was James that was in charge in Jerusalem. Peter was was the one they looked to as the 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 evangelist or the you know the the out front the out front one. But 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 everything flowed through James, the Lord's half brother. So that's for another day. But my point is, you've got James, the Lord's half brother. There, you've got the other apostles, you know Thomas and whoever you know go down the list. Uh, you've got Peter, you've got elders, all centralized in Jerusalem, and they're all intermixed with Pharisees and Levites that were holding to Moses's word. And again, like you said, brother, the other day, brother Fernando, I think it was you who said, look at how comfortable they've become amongst the establishment, right? And and it's a spectacular dramatic encounter that's about to take place. And what's interesting, as they're traveling back to Jerusalem, again, uh, look at what happens here in verse 3. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit interjects this. Can you throw this in there, Brother Jeremy, verse 3? Yes. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So as they're going along, what are they emphasizing? The, the Gentiles have been converted. They, they believe in the Lord. They believe the gospel we're preaching. But look where they, they passed through and where the joy is happening. In Samaria, right? That's where Philip had gone all those years earlier, remember? In Phoenice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then what you begin to see is verse 4 and 5. Can you read that? Once they get to Jerusalem. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church one of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, consider this, what's being revealed here, because remember when we talked about yesterday about the apostles' doctrine, how they continued in the apostles' doctrine? So people were getting saved, but they were, but were they? I mean, how saved were they? I mean, they weren't fully understanding the gospel because look, in verse five, it says, there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. Saying this Mm -hmm. though, right? That it was needful to circumcise them, that is the Gentiles, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This is a crisis of immense proportions right now. And 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 there's several things. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say I can see a clear distinction in the gospel that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas was preaching, which is very Christ-centered, you know, yes. uh, without the Judaism influence in it. In other words, you know what I mean, the ceremonial things that they did. And then we see this other side who believe in Jesus, but they have it mixed up, right? And I, th- I think it's kind of interesting, uh, my brothers, that in like in, in our in our era right now in 2000, there's been such a rise on that, right? On on Jewish roots and 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 Christians wanting to help, right? And a lot of good things have been done, right? Like you know, bringing people back to Israel and, and blessing them. But what I'm not seeing, what I'm not seeing is a proselytization of a conversion from Judaism to Christianity through the through 
to the true Jesus Christ. In other words, there's an overemphasis on Israel, but we've forgotten the emphasis should be on Jesus. You get what I'm saying, brothers? Yeah. And, and 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 I see that um that influence. See, look at look at their focus. These these Jews that come from Jerusalem, they are pinpointing and they are <laughs> emphasizing on the the circumcision and the manner of Moses. It seems like Paul and Barnabas, their focus, their central message was the person of Jesus Christ. I, yeah. I, that, that's what I'm seeing. That's that's very good, exactly. And 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 again, uh, isn't it fascinating? What you, what you said is really profound, brother. Uh, you were talking about today, right? And and and, yes. and the church's emphasis in Israel. Yes. You know, uh, that that's for a whole other topic, and maybe we'll, we'll, uh, even we could explore it really deeply. But I do see the same thing. There's 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 this sense in the church today, and and I'm going to be very careful how I say this. Um, as it yields itself, you know, I understand the love of all things Jewish. I do. But but we are no longer under the law. And while we are we are in in in, in enormous debt to the Jewish nation and always will be, um the truth of the matter is is that we are not compelled, as Paul would go on to reveal, to keep Sabbath days or rituals or feasts or any of that stuff. He said it was all part of an old system. But it seems that there's this pervading or, or prevailing attitude that's been emerging amongst the top leadership of the evangelical community to embrace all things Jewish and to to diminish the Lord in that, or at least that's the result of it. The Lord gets diminished because are we converting them? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the question, there, Marty. And that's where, um, and, and again, we've, they've done good things carrying the Jews back to Israel. Right. And, and you know, because they understand that the, the end times, there's a purpose for the is for Israel and for the Jews. We understand that there's a blessing, but again, Remember all these celebrations that are taking place, and we have people who, who Jews who have said, you can help us, but don't try to convert us. And we are magnifying these people, right, who don't even believe in Jesus Christ, you know. I don't want yeah. to deter from what we're talking about, but it, it's the same thing that we're doing, you know what I'm saying? And so you see a an influence uh, in, in in terms of the ceremonial things of the law and stuff of Judaism still ingrained in uh, the church of that time in the book of Acts. You know, this is a really, and maybe we should continue to just for a moment, you know, to, to talk about because, well, for instance, uh, recently a, a Christian network was granted the the right to, to broadcast uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem and throughout the nation mm -hmm. of Israel. Uh, but <laughs> it was taken down about a week later <laughs> uh, because it, its focus was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is written in the Israeli law in their communication system that it's forbidden for the gospel to be preached in Israel. There, it, it, to this day, it's illegal 
to try and and promote the gospel. Of course, you know it's done, but it's not overt. And once they 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 tried to to broadcast Christian, uh, as they call it, propaganda into Israel, they they took them off the air a week later. And so <laughs> we see the same kind of thing here as what you're talking about, right, Brother Jeremy? We see the same thing happening here. And what we're talking about is, again, Paul's evolution as a preacher. All of these things we're looking at is, is what the Holy Spirit is using to bring him to ultimately the final 10 years of his life, which would begin in Athens, where he would exclusively go and minister to the, to the Gentile nations of the world. The breaking away from the entrenched, uh, developed religion of Moses and, and the Levitical law was in the very fiber of, of, of everything they had ever known spiritually. And so consider here just how, how partial the gospel was understood, even amongst the apostles at this time. That they could have Pharisees, which believed in verse 5, throwing forth an argument with ease and, and, and a sense of authority in their midst, saying, we still need to keep the law of Moses, and so do the Gentiles. That's incredible. If you think about it, this is, this is almost, you know, what, 17 years into the whole thing? <laughs> wow. And so verse 6 says that the apostles and the elders came together for to consider the matter. I find that absolutely incredible that Peter and, and, and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel and Andrew, you know, the elder, they had to actually think about it. Because we have the benefit of hindsight. Think about like I said, the Apostle Paul wrote 14 letters of the New Testament, 14 epistles. Half the New Testament was written by Paul, half of it. <laughs> and, and in those letters uh, is the revelation of, of the gospel in its fullness. It's, it's fascinating to me that, that even at their level, these men who ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, you know, saw the miracles of Jesus, sat under his ministry for three and a half years, uh, witnessed the resurrection, uh, saw him ascend into heaven, full of the Holy Ghost. Seventeen years later, they still have to consider whether the Gentiles should obey Moses' law or not. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is better left for a seminary. I don't know. But I find that incredible. I find that incredible. The subtlety, think about it, we're talking about spiritual warfare at a high level. Again, the church is brought into crisis, right? It was crisis early on. A couple decades later, again, it gets ramped up. Think of it. If they had walked away from this situation and and thank God for the moving of the spirit and even the sensitivity, because Peter seems to have been a little more developed at this point 
but again, Brother Fernando, you were mentioning something that made me think about this, this is why we're looking at this now. There seems to be, uh, all right. Now, I know we look at these men as perfect saints, but they're men. You know, we all grow and so forth. So I just want you to look at it from this particular lens. Because it's Barnabas and Paul that are bearing enormous fruit in Antioch, in 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 uh, in, in the two-year missionary journey that they just had, in, in their testimony that God is opening the door to the Gentile nations of the world. But now they come and they they share all this information with these apostles that are still hooked up at Jerusalem. There's, they've intermingled with the establishment of the Pharisees. In essence, they're being absorbed, just like we said we believe the Holy Spirit revealed was the danger of the early church. They're being absorbed into Judaism. But Paul and Barnabas had the benefit of, of these several years being outside of headquarters and even going on an excursion for two years into the Gentile world and testifying how the Holy Spirit had opened the door. But when we come to this council at Jerusalem and this question of is the gospel and the law of Moses compatible in that it is a requirement to institute Levitical ordinances and statutes, including circumcision, in, in order to be saved? It's incredible because it's a theological debate at a high level, and it also goes to show us that the full development of the gospel is still underway. That's some fascinating stuff to consider we won't go too deep into it, but let's look at the at, at the at the dynamic of preacher versus preacher. Because what does Peter rise up to say? Which I give him credit for, because because he actually said the right thing, but he throws something in there that is that is very much to me um, ego driven. Could you read that to us in verse seven, brother Jeremy? Yes. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear <laughs> the word of the gospel and believe. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, if that's true, Peter... And it is in a measure. What, what have you been doing all these years, these last seven years? As a matter of fact, the last time we saw you, brother, and I love you with all my heart because you're my favorite apostle, actually, you know, when it comes to a man's man kind of guy. But what have you been doing, man? Last time I saw you, you were in prison. I mean, you went and preached to Cornelius, but a couple of years go by, you end up being thrown in prison. The church is broke in Jerusalem, which is why they had to bring an offering. You You got out of town. So that Herod wouldn't kill you, and we haven't heard from you in over two years. And now, two years later, here we are in Jerusalem, <laughs> and uh, and 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 you just got to throw that in there, right? You know, uh, that God chose me. That's what He said, right? Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, yeah, it's been a while. God made choice among us. In other words, He 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 chose someone among us, uh, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the gospel. Because I don't know if you can see it. You or I know my brothers can. 
because we've been around preachers, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is a heavy thing, man. We got Pharisees here, we got elders here, we got all the apostles here. We we've got several members of the church here. They're in the temple, they're in Jerusalem, right? And 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 you got Paul and Barnabas there. You have got those guys who started trouble up in Antioch there because they were the ones who started the whole mess, saying that you had to keep Moses' law. So you got a big council of preachers here, and 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 it seems like there's this ego thing going on uh, a little bit in that Peter would mention. Uh, I was the one chosen to go to the Gentiles, by the way. I'm so, I'm glad that Paul and Barnabas are having success, but really, you know, God started it all with me. Interesting, <laughs> but I got to give him credit because he's the one who says, what, can you read the rest, 8, 9 through 11? Yes, you know, and I must say, and, and that's a good point that you bring up, and I think I, I'd mix it, this is just my opinion. I'm yeah. also trying, I, I, I think he's also trying to absorb some of the hit because he has more, um, uh, how do you say, more... Um, with the with the with the apostles in Jerusalem, he has more uh, sway. I don't know if that's I don't know if yeah that's credibility. Yeah, so you know, so so there's an ego. He's saying something, and at the same time, maybe just a little bit, he's trying to also, you know, sway them because he has that sway. You know, I'm the one. You know, maybe that has more yeah. importance than than Paul. That's Who true. Knows? No, no, that's, a, lot true. Of that's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe it's just because I've been around a bunch of preachers that are like, I've, tried to... <laughs> I've been no. around a lot of jealous preachers, man. Brother, <laughs> ego, <laughs> ego, ego is, is very, is very deep. You know, I remember, let me just, if you don't, uh, you know, when I was in se uh, the seminary, um, I remember when we we would have to preach, man, I, I felt like I was preaching amongst theologians. And what they would do in one of my classes, they would have us preach the next day, they would give about you know the negatives and the positives and i kid you not i i, I about quit one day because uh they they told me they shred me to pieces they had about <laughs> 50 things negative things that they said about you know the message that i preached and i only had one positive and you know what it was it had nothing to do with the message it was that i dressed appropriately that's the <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking right. about you're talking about ego. I mean, you you could tell. I mean, it, it just reeks of egoness. You know, uh, when whenever ministers get together, I mean, that's uh, so. Uh, you, you're right, brother. I mean, that you 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 see it. it it's it's embedded. <laughs> it's yeah. embedded, especially when you have conferences. Who 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 preaches the deepest message? Who gets the most applause? Who gets the biggest the biggest <laughs> offering? Don't get me started, brother. But all right. Let's yeah. You said. <laughs> well, that's incredible. What? So, so, so I, I, it's probably more what you're saying, brother Jeremy. Because honestly, you know, maybe Peter's learned some things here. I just find it funny the way he phrased it. I was chosen to go to the Gentiles. It was by my mouth the Gentiles. <laughs> you're only talking about Cornelius and a few people in his house here, Peter. Paul comes back with Barnabas and says the entire Gentile world is getting saved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and but that's a great point, brother. Because where were you all these years? You right. know, did, 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 yeah. did, you didn't follow up after that. It, it just that little incident, but it didn't say that after Peter began to preach to the Gentiles, right? right. So yeah. you know, um, maybe God is dealing with them by this time, you know, and and, and he's beginning to understand 
man. You know what I'm saying? So I said, let me use myself as an example. Maybe uh, yeah. But cause I this think was, so. because because you know what was at stake here is, is really this is a big meeting. This is not just yeah. no little. This is this could divide the church. You know what I forever. mean? Forever or, or break it forever. So this is wow. a very crucial moment in yeah, well, church history. Yes, and what you just said there. It, it it could it could break it forever again. Remember we talked about yesterday how early on how how their their failure to branch out and do what we're talking about right now caused that the entire apostolic uh, leadership was placed in jail, right? Remember by the high priest and all them. I mean, their very yes. church survival was at stake even at that moment. And here we are right now. You said very well. If they didn't come out of this meeting, right? The entire church would have been destroyed. Think about yeah. it. I, I still think Paul would have been a, a rebel, right, a renegade, because <laughs> he's he's strong, man, and and yeah. uh, and a scholar to boot. I mean, he's a scholar of scholars, a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know. But keep reading what Peter goes on to say in verse eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Yes, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness given them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Even as they. So that's incredible. You know, mm. the development of Peter by this point, right? We see, uh, he says it right there. It's by grace that we're saved. Mm. Mm. Right? But I want to ask the question at this point. Okay, mm. praise God for that, Brother Peter. Thank God that you're saying that. But how is it in verse 5 that your brothers, the Pharisees, which believe, think that they still have to keep the law of Moses if you're truly preaching that it's salvation by faith alone in Christ. Something's wrong. Mm. You know, if you can see it, something's wrong still. You know, you, you're publicly saying this right now, and I commend you for it, Apostle Peter, but something's wrong in your interactions with the other preachers in the temple because they felt comfortable saying, we got to keep the law of Moses too. And here you are in verse 11 saying, no, uh, we're, we're saved by faith. I don't know. I mean, the pressure, the dynamic, the interaction. Again, I point to the fact that I think that the fact that you have centralized Jerusalem and made it headquarters has influenced and distorted um your ability to freely preach the gospel as you as you as you're declaring it right here in verse eleven. Paul's witnessing all this, right? Again, we're talking about the, the, the furthering along as he's heading to Athens. Uh after Peter said that it's really cool because uh it kind of shut people down, right? Verse twelve, can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Yes. <clears throat> Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among 
the Gentiles by them. Okay, so so it's interesting, like this hush. And you know, you know, brothers, from, from ministering the word of God, when the presence of God comes, what happens? So understand this dynamic as well. The spirit of God is there and he's moving. And 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 he 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 anoints Paul and Barnabas to to testify what God's been doing. Now it's interesting what happens here. Can you read to us uh, verse thirteen and fourteen how James sees it? Because now he he steps up and says something. Brother brother Marty, can I ask you just a quick question? Yeah, by go this ahead. time, by this time, has Paul? Remember how Galatians speaks that um, when when Paul says that he confronted Peter. Right. Yeah. Had this happened already by this time, or this happened after this? This uh, that um. I don't the way remember. I understand, I was it's interesting. I was just looking at. What did you say, brother Fernando? No, I didn't. I didn't say nothing, brother. Oh, I thought you said something. No, as I was studying this uh, and rehearsing the history this morning, it appears that that the Galatian church was after this when he wrote to the Galatians. It, it, it's after this incident. It would be years later that Peter would come again from Jerusalem with others, and and spend time with them. But when the when when they came again from Jerusalem, he talks about how Peter <laughs> how Peter lost his mind, and so did Barnabas. Right. Take a look at that. That's what you're asking, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Because this, you know, go, go ahead, brother. Yeah. That's, that's well, what apparently. I'm it happened uh, in the in his third missionary journey, you know, because okay. the second missionary journey brings him out of Athens, uh, but there's a third missionary journey where he goes exclusively uh, to the Gentiles, where the other churches would be born, the church at Galatia, the church at Corinth, you know, different letters that are written. There was still this influence of, of the Judaizers. They were still trying and continued to follow up behind Paul, remember? They would follow mm-hmm, up his mm-hmm. work and try to corrupt it. You know, Peter came and joined them, and they were in fellowship. He was freely eating with the Gentiles. Did you turn over to Galatians just to look at that real quick? Yeah, I do. It's in chapter 2, right? Uh, Galatians. Yeah, could you uh, – where he says uh, – And when Peter came to Antioch, I was still – Yeah, he even came to Antioch, right? Listen to what he says. Yes. He said, but when Peter – was come to Antioch, that's in uh, Galatians 2.11, but when Peter yes. was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain King James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when yes. they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, we know this is after this meeting that we're talking about because of verse 9. What does verse 9 say? When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So when, when after this meeting, the meeting that we're looking at right now, when that meeting concludes, they basically sent them to the Gentiles, is what Paul is saying. And so this is years later when Peter still comes and visits them in Antioch uh, and, and they're freely just eating with the Gentiles, having a good time. But look at how intense this whole trip was <laughs> about, about law and grace, right? Because 
who was he afraid of? It says, verse 12, uh, certain came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, uh, which were of the circumcision, and the other Jews uh, separated themselves also. And then he says this, tragically speaking, insomuch that yeah. Barnabas also was carried away with carried. the dissimulation. Right. Incredible, right? right? That's incredible. Wow. See, we're we're witnessing we're witnessing a fight for the very purity of the gospel. Praise God. Mm. And I thank I thank God for the, for our brother Paul. I don't denigrate our other brothers because we're talking about. Let me tell you something. We were you were talking about it the other day from your perspective, brother Jeremy, when you talked about being raised in denominations. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I can talk yeah. about it from the perspective of being raised a Catholic. I mean, I was I was I was born and raised Catholic. I was baptized on the eighth day. I had my first communion when I was in second grade. I was confirmed in the Catholic Church at age twelve. You know, with the ashes and all that other stuff. Yeah, I went to Catholic schools up until the seventh grade. You know, and, and I got saved uh, when I was fifteen years old. That's the first time I ever went to an altar and accepted Jesus as my Lord. But I can tell you that even today, because it was years ago, I went to my. Uh, my niece's baptism and uh this is you know maybe 20 years ago now but my uncle was baptizing his daughter and they're catholic and and i went to the service in the catholic church we had a sunday morning service and then afterwards with the baptism but it was the weirdest thing brother because i know the truth (laughs) i know the gospel Mm. but i went into that church that i was born and raised in and i could almost recite to you word for word um, uh, the actual order of the mass, you know, the stand up, the sit down, the kneel, you know, the, 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 the prayers, it just flowed. I mean, I knew it by memory and I thought I had, you know, it'd been years since I'd been in the church, but we were talking about just how ingrained, you know, religion can be in us. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't that I walked out of there wanting to be a Catholic. It was just, but I was very familiar with it. You know, and I knew I knew that I knew it. And and I think that's what they were going through. You know, we are we are witnessing the the birth of the pure gospel here. And and it's incredible who God used. Who better, right? Than a Pharisee of Pharisees? Who better than the testimony he gave of himself years later where he would say, Concerning the righteousness of the law, I was perfect. I find that incredible because who better to preach grace and forgiveness and, 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 and salvation and justification through faith than one who had pursued God with all his heart under rules and regulation of religion. This is what we see happening here. Uh, there's so much more dynamic we could look at because we see a fear component right because paul said when when peter and them came that when people from james that kind of reveals a little bit about james to us right? <laughs> that right. they, so, you know they kept in some form or another even though their salvation wasn't a question to them how they worshiped god was was yet it, it had some sort of mosaic component to it some sort of levitical law some sort of religious component to it very fascinating ceremonial right yeah ceremonial that's good 
ceremonial. So, so James stands up and says what in verse 13 and 14, brother, in Acts chapter 15? And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Okay, so he validates what, what Peter said, right? He calls him Simeon. He gives him his Hebrew name. He doesn't address him by his Gentile name. He calls him Simeon. And and, and notice how he does it. <laughs> this is why I felt like Peter was maybe being uh, egotistical there. James doesn't jump in and say, yeah, God chose Peter to speak to the Gentiles from among us. He simply says, Simeon declared how God first did visit the Gentiles. You see the difference in how he describes what Peter described? Yeah, he clarifies it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You weren't the first one. Exactly. You just, you were, I mean, you're not the one, you're not the voice for the Gentiles. You just, yeah. God simply just used you first. To visit, right? <laughs> so we see, we see a dynamic, right? We see James is in charge here, buddy. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Very interesting stuff. I just find. <laughs> uh, so, but then here is something really interesting. Because James goes on and says, 15 and 16, what does he say? Yeah, this is good. And to this agree the words of the prophet, as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. 17-2? Yeah, keep reading. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. That's an incredible understanding of prophecy. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we did that, we did that whole series on on bringing the ark to Jerusalem. Remember, and we talked about the tabernacle of David and what it really meant, yeah. and yeah. and who he chose to to be caretakers of it, and why he didn't yeah. he didn't go and 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 bring the the tabernacle of Moses and set it up. He created a whole new, different tabernacle. James. Right is is attributing the tabernacle of David to the Gentile church, which wow. is really deep, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, what, what he's, he, what he's, he's kind of quoting uh, Amos 9-11, I think. Amos 9-11. That's exactly what he's quoting. That's exactly <clears throat> what he's quoting. But again, he does something different. Yeah. Because these these were very prophetic guys, right? Remember when the when 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 the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and Peter stands up and they think everybody's drunk, right? And he says, Men and brethren, these men aren't drunk like you suppose. And then he says what? He mm-hmm. says, But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, right? And 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 then he goes on to quote Joel. That in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy on and on and on, right? But he keeps quoting 
all the way to the great and the notable day of the Lord. He starts talking about the moon being turned to blood, the sun, you know, being made dark and, and, and unto the great and terrible day of the Lord. Peter extended that prophecy, uh, but but James doesn't extend Amos's prophecy. He seems to be applying it uh, to the beginning of the Gentile church and saying that the Gentile church itself is is the fulfillment of the type of David's tabernacle. But he stops there because the rest of Amos's prophecy, from which he's quoting from, and I hope we're not losing people here, but but you know this is this is this is deeper Bible study here. Let's look at Amos nine. And see what James is quoting. Are you there? Yes. It says, um, here we go. In the day that I, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Continue. Yes, that they that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Okay, and 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 James actually says it in verse seventeen. What what Amos calls possessing the remnant of Edom and the heathen which are called by my name, James says he he says that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who does these things. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting because he, he he doesn't quote it exactly, but, but he basically stops in verse 12. He doesn't continue the rest of the prophecy because the rest of the prophecy reveals that the Jews would be scattered to the four corners of the earth and that that they would be regathered again, right? In verse 14, can you read that? And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. In verse 15. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more pull up and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. So what we see James doing here in this council we're talking about is he applies the fallen down tabernacle of David to the birth of the Gentile church. And he's reading from that passage of scripture you were just reading from in Amos, or he's quoting it, but he stops short of going uh, the balance of the way. For, for a couple reasons, which is incredibly profound in his depth of understanding. Well, he, he doesn't quote the, the, I will gather the children of Israel who were in captivity. Why? Because they, they, had, they weren't in captivity yet. <laughs> and, they, and the Jerusalem hadn't been destroyed. The 2,000 years of human history hadn't transpired. We know that the regathering of Israel actually took place in 1948. The difference in, in to me, if you have eyes to see here between James and Peter is that James knew at least at this point how to apply prophetic scripture correctly to the time 
when you go back to Acts chapter 1 at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I think this is one of the key factors in why they continued hanging out in Jerusalem, because Peter understood the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 when he quotes uh, Joel. He quotes it. Uh, <laughs> he quotes it all the way. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's take a look at this in, in, in Second Peter chapter. I mean, in First, in Acts chapter two. Um, let's see where, where he says these men are not drunk as you suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Where is that at? Okay. And they all come running in verse thirteen. Uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 13 uh, they come running and say what does this mean and some guys say in verse 13 he says these guys are all drunk and then Peter says in verse uh, 14 uh, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them Acts chapter 2 verse 14 men of Judea all you that dwell in Jerusalem uh, be this known unto you and hearken to my words these men are not drunk as you think because it's only nine o'clock in the morning and then he starts quoting Joel, right? Mm. Can you read read what he quoted in Joel? Uh, but, but yeah, to 18, verse nine, all the way to verse nineteen. It, it, oh, actually, verse twenty. Read, read that yeah. sixteen through twenty. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth, beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the lord come so he quotes joel all the way to the to the second coming of the lord the actual final judgment day james didn't do that when he quoted amos james stopped at the appropriate place and while it is true that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit set in motion, uh, the wheels begin to turn that leads into the next 2,000 years of human and church history across the planet, which is going to culminate with the second coming of the Lord. I think that Peter's understanding of the original outpouring of the Spirit of the, of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the way that he relates Joel's prophecy he he quotes it all the way to the end. And I think that it contributed to their misappropriation of the understanding of of just the timing of the prophetic scripture. James didn't do that. He understood something in a very profound way. And that is this, that, that partial fulfillment of Amos prophecy quite possibly was beginning under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas and in the fruit that they were bearing all over Asia Minor throughout the Gentile world uh, that they knew up until that point where the gospel had gone. Peter, on the other hand, on the day of Pentecost, quotes the scripture of Joel all the way to the second coming of the Lord. And I think it was, an, it was a misappropriation or a misunderstanding of prophetic scripture that he did so. 
because because what that does is is it causes them to have an expectation that Jesus is going to come right away. You know, there's this anticipation. So they're still hanging out in Jerusalem because they know the scriptures of Zechariah that say that he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. As a matter of fact, that's the last thing they heard a, a couple of days before where they said, you know, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus is going to come in like manner. He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. So I think it's this this misunderstanding of, of prophecy that kept them there, at least was a major contributing factor to how they stayed in Jerusalem, waiting for his return. But James gets a different insight, and we see we see such an incredible thing there, I think, you know, that 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 the way he quotes scripture. So so we know what happens, right? They 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 decide at that crucial moment that they're not going to put any burdens on the people, the Gentiles. The, and they decide to, they, they lay down three laws, right? I find this, again, we want to look at some interesting, um, some interesting uh, human interaction here. Uh, read verse uh, 19 and what, what James decides, 19 and, and, and uh, 19 through 21. Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. It's a, it's a really interesting thing that he says here. Because is he is he still not of his own able to break free? Because because what they lay on the Gentiles is is not circumcision. But what they do lay on them is don't eat any meat that's offered to idols, right? Don't uh eat anything that's strangled uh and 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 don't engage in in, in unmarried sex, right? Fornication. We know that those things we're not supposed to do, but in other parts of Paul's writings, he would say, "Look, man, uh, uh, so, uh, me eating meat offered to idols that ain't nothing to me, because because an idol's stupid and dead and dumb. It doesn't matter." What he his point of view is arguing from the fact that if it weakens another man's conscience, then I better not do it, but I'm free to do it. And he goes on to write about it where he says, happy is the man whose heart does not condemn him in the thing which he allows. It is why he was so extreme in, in embracing uh, salvation uh, by faith. But then he, he counterbalances that when he reveals the working of the Holy Spirit. And he goes into depths of understanding the component parts that make up human identity when he delineates between soul, spirit, and body, and then begins to lay forth doctrine that is of such a high level, we ain't got time to get into it right now, but he, he begins to view the body as a, as a particular part of the whole of material creation that has residing within it the effects and the residue of sin. And he talks about how we need to... Uh, how we need to grow mentally and spiritually in order to dominate that force that wants to remain active. He begins to get so deep in understanding what it was that Jesus did in condemning sin in the flesh 
and he begins to propose these things as he as he develops in the final 10 years of his ministry before he lays down his life at the fountains of Rome at the command of Nero. So he's learning from all this. But what James goes on to say, almost as if he's placating the Pharisees in verse 21, he says, Moses is preached in every synagogue from here to wherever there's a Jew. So in other words, don't worry that they're not going to hear Moses, is what he said. We're just not going to put this trip on them that they have to be circumcised. It's an interesting conclusion they come to. Can you see that, what he's saying here? <laughs> yes. But what I'm Absolutely. saying is that it, in this theological you know, discussion they're having, which is vital to the church, the Holy Spirit is using it to prompt musings and meditations within the heart of the Apostle Paul that ultimately will will blossom in what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Incredible. Yes. <laughs> right? No, it's incredible because those the teachings of Paul then in his epistles and bringing to light these things really settles it. And it's really helped our generations, right? The generations after him so that these conflicts, even though they still exist, but it, it doesn't go without merit and, and establish what, what the Bible says. We see a conflict yeah. here in the book of Acts, but then we see Paul later on, uh, you know, saying neither here nor there. You know what I'm saying? It's He's talking about something, you know, when he talks about circumcision, he's, he's speaking of something much deeper, right? He goes into yeah. the circumcision of the heart and, and so forth. And, or, yeah. you know, not doing things for the sake of a weak brother. So, yeah, no, we're, we're grateful. You know, these things have to happen in the book of Acts. You know, it's not, yeah. again, we're not putting a trip on people that look at their imperfection. No, we're pointing out to, to, to see what happened. This this took place. These discussions took place. These These things <laughs> were an issue in the time and how the yeah. Holy Spirit dealt with his servants. You know, at the end, look at James. Look, Was he the same one who wrote the book of James? Or, or am I, uh, yeah. you know, uh, yes. And look at the way he speaks, you know, <laughs> faith without yeah. words. So we know right. that ultimately the Holy Spirit did something with these men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Powerful, powerful. And, and it is important because, well, how does that apply to us today, Brother Marty? Well, it's the same principle you know, men have tried to centralize religion. They always do it for control. And the result of it is that the gospel itself becomes, uh, becomes, uh, you know, caged, if you will, to the will of men and to their surmisings, to their additions to the gospel. And, 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 and this makes people nervous, right? But Paul was flat out clear that he gives a list of if you're practicing this kind of a lifestyle, don't think you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. But he does it from a perspective uh, of causing us to, to at least understand that if you're practicing these things, you've literally yielded yourself to a power that, that, that Jesus died on the cross to break so that you would have authority over it. He doesn't ever say that we will not have to deal with certain passions of the mind or the flesh. What he does say is is that those passions of the mind and the flesh are absolutely diametrically opposed to what was established on Calvary. What was accomplished and the victory that was won by Christ 
was the shattering of the shackles of the of the will of men and that men had no will before they could only behave one way but when christ broke the power of death because that's the wages of sin he gave us the ability to choose to enter in to a yieldedness to the outworking plan and purpose of god which is the extraction of death and the acquisition of it out of the hands of the wicked one and the and the eternal possession of it by Christ our lord and from that he would begin to cause a church to be assembled and and brought together out of both jew and gentile by the power of god through the working of the holy spirit which is what we're witnessing here these were all developmental moments and events that were shaping the theology and the doctrine of the great apostle Paul that caused the symmetry of the gospel to to connect as the other apostles came to the realization, as Peter would write later, like you quoted the other day, Brother Jeremy, that Paul wrote scripture. And he said, even though it's hard to understand, uh, it is scripture. Praise God. Amen. Amen. That's awesome, man. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> well, I think we should end it there because they yeah. return from Jerusalem. And uh, it, it's, it's quite a sad thing, really. It's a, a year or so go by, several years go by, and, and, and they're in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are there. It, it says that uh, in verse 35, can you read 35 and, and, uh, and 36, brother? To us in chapter 15. Yes, 35 and 36. And Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Praise God. So this is this is really sad right here to me, uh, because this is the moment Paul is saying, let's go where we've just spent the last couple of years on our missionary journey. Let's go back and visit all those brothers. And Barnabas was was down for it, man. He said, yeah, let's do it. But he wanted to bring John Mark with him. And and if you remember early on, um, when Paul and Barnabas went on a mission, uh, went, went on a journey, Mark didn't want to go with him. But now Mark wants to go with him, but Paul, he didn't want him to go with him. He felt like he couldn't trust him on the mission field. And 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 and, and now a fight takes place between Paul and Barnabas. It's really sad if you consider the history they've had in ministry to this point with each other. After all, it was Barnabas who went and took Paul from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch and began his ministry 13 years after he was saved on the road to Damascus. But but this this contention, can you read that in verse uh in verse 37 through uh, through 39. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia. And went, Pan, okay, Pamphylia, yeah, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark 
and sailed unto Cyprus. Just read out read out to 41, would you please, brother? And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and, and Cilicia, confirming the churches. This is this is Paul's second mission, missionary journey that he's on. But but after all these years, brother, uh, him and him and his partner, man, they they they, they split up over over John Mark, and uh, it, it's really sad, right? I mean, when you think about it. But yet, it's the will of the Lord, because along the way, he's now beginning to disconnect Paul uh, from any attachment that would cause him to feel maybe in some ways um answerable to a to 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 the brother who actually went and brought him into the church to begin with he needed to become his own man so what seemed to be a sad and tragic thing because it says here they really argued man over this thing um was really a working of the holy spirit because later on when paul writes in, in Timothy's uh, his last letter to Timothy, he, he he tells them to bring Mark with them to where he's at because he's needful for the ministry. There's a softening that took place in, in, in the man of God, but but here he's having none of it. But yet the Spirit of God is working even in this situation, uh, as Paul would write later. Right, uh, you know he he works all things together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. So. This separation was while it was contentious, yet the Spirit of God is there because he's removing him from, he's making him his own man. He's going to now, as, as, this, as this plays out, and, and as we go into the 16th chapter, he, he heads into, into Philippi and with Silas. He gets thrown into prison, you know, all kinds of intense stuff begins to happen at one time they, they they think he's jupiter and they think you know all this stuff that's going on, uh, in chapter 16 um you know they 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 have these these incredible experiences uh over his lifetime but here's the point where he 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 breaks free and 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 goes off with silas somebody that he hasn't ever traveled with by the way but silas is called a prophet the prophetic is always present. Can you read verse 32, brother, to us? Yes. Chapter yeah. 16, right? And they spoke unto him the word of the no, Lord no, no. and to uh, okay. I'm sorry, brother. Verse uh, Chapter 15, verse 32, just to identify Silas, because that's who we went oh, on. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So it's interesting that who Paul chose to go with after he split with Barnabas was Silas. But we know from verse 32 that Silas is a prophet. And we know that they hung out in Antioch before Paul decided to take this missionary journey and go visit the churches that him and Barnabas had gone and founded and, 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 and the brethren that got saved under their ministries. Um, so he was exposed to Silas's ministry for a time. He's heard him preach. He's heard him discuss the prophetic scriptures. That's who he chose to take with him. Very interesting. Because these, you know, and that's for you out there too. You know, these conversations that my brothers and I have that you get to hear every day. <laughs> I mean, this is how we talk. 
I mean, we really don't have nothing to talk about. Uh, you know, how's the kids? Great. How's the weather? Oh, it's horrible. Okay, whatever. But really, uh, our whole relationship is based around the Word of God. You know, I mean, that's that's what we have with each other. It's the treasure and the interaction that we have. It's the Word of God, and and so it's vital who we choose to 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 hang out with, to spend time with. Paul chose Silas. A prophet whose whose messages and teachings and reflections on the Word of God, he felt comfortable enough to say, "This is the guy I want to go with." If I can't be with Barnabas, who I've been with my entire uh, ministerial career, so to speak, then this is the guy I want to take with me. Incredible choice, and and a very interesting uh, and and uh, you know in, uh, you know insight. In, in, into into Paul and his 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 quality, his character, and his development. But now, as they go forth in chapter 16, and we'll pick it up from here tomorrow. Uh, uh, we won't spend very much time in 16 or 17 tomorrow, as far as I know. But we're going to get right to Athens. We'll just show a little bit of a progression what ends up happening, because things are being accelerated now, and and everything that we're talking about uh, is is taking place over a 10-year period. So when we get to Athens, Paul is now 51 years old. When we started this morning, he was 41. <laughs> He's getting close to his 50s now. Uh, and now he takes off and heads to Philippi with, with Silas. And uh, ultimately, he'll be in Thessalonica, Berea, and then on a boat where he comes and, uh, to the shores of Athens. And, 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 uh, and his second missionary journeys will come to an end. He'll be 51 years old. And there'll only be 10 years left of his life. My God, what a 10 years. He packed more life into, into his last 10 years than I think several lifetimes. Uh, as most of what would be written during that time would, would be what we call the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the New Testament. An amazing thing. Working of God, uh, the spirit of the Lord and, and, and how he preserves his church. And these days are upon us again. Because really what was at stake here were two things. One, will the church remain an organized religion absorbed into another doctrine and theology? Or would it become its own separate entity? And what would be proposed by the great apostle is that God was not interested in a headquarters on earth. But what he was doing was actually constructing a church out of both Jew and Gentile. And that the church, a radical concept at the time, was a living, breathing uh, organism <clears throat> inhabited by God himself through the Holy Spirit, and that it was meant to be uh, a, a, a light that would, that would go through the whole world so that the children of God from generation to generation could be added to the family of God, culminating in the last days with the return of the Lord, retrieving us and taking us to the real capital city where the real temple is, our home in heaven. We'll continue tomorrow our journeys with Paul as we're bringing him to Athens and his final missionary journey. Brother Jeremy. Praise God. What a discussion we have had today and these intimate things. Getting a a um a lens, a look into uh this very important whatever you want to call it, dispute or discussion. And and hinging on all of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But we thank the Lord that everything works out for the good and we can learn and we can continue, even to this hour, to fight, amen, for the uncompromised, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray you join us tomorrow as we continue to discuss and make our way to chapter 17 as Paul goes into Antioch. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.